to another episode of the DBR Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Evan, and here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to reach people for Christ, to teach people to be like Christ, and to train people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here, including all the podcasts, is to fulfill that mission to reach, teach, and train. All right, Compass, we are at the end of the Gospel of Luke here, the last few pages, where we will then end the Gospel of Luke, then we'll go to the Gospel of John, and then pick up part two of Luke, which is the book of Acts. But before we get to Acts, we need to get through John. Before we get through John, we got to finish Luke chapter 22 through 24. And there's a whole lot going on here. So let's buckle our seatbelts and let's go on for a, a ride with Luke as he gets a faithful account, a very thorough account of what happened with Jesus Christ. Now remember, let's think back as we were at the end this book. The goal of Luke was to write to Theophilus an orderly account. Why? So that you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And what you've been taught, Compass, is that the forgiveness of sins can be found through Jesus Christ, through the work that he did in his life and his death and his resurrection to cover your and my sins. And for his call to say, in order for that to be a part of you, to be imputed unto you, you need to forsake all of yourself, to repent from yourself, repent from your sin, and place your complete trust in me to save you. And so let this you know, journey through the weeks and through the gospel, Luke, encourage your faith to trust that this orderly account will give you certainty the things that were taught, the forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus Christ alone. All right, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 22. Give some Quick context. Remember, this is the end of part three of Luke. It started away from Jerusalem. Remember, the Jerusalem is the, the the pinnacle of it, or the temple essentially. Where in the you know the temptations, Luke reordered it. Uh, where Matthew, it was um, the food, the temple, the nations, and Luke. And in, in the earlier in the temptations of Christ, it was the bread, the nations, and the temple because the Jerusalem is the focal point. Well, one of the focal points of the Gospel of Luke going into Jerusalem, and then we'll read the book of Acts leaving Jerusalem to the nations. And so this is the context. is part three, Jesus going to Jerusalem and doing his thing. Now we are in Jerusalem, and Jesus is about to do his thing. As you notice, the opposition grows and grows and grows to the point where Jesus dies. Now this is where um, it, you know, crescendos, the climax of the Gospel of Luke, is what we're going to read this week. And kind of help you out to sort in your mind, you know, as you read a little bit of Luke each day, is Luke 22 to 23 is is roughly the same scene going on. The plot to kill Jesus and all the way through his his death, essentially. In Luke 24, the resurrection is in the new scene that it kind of has the point. So if you're trying to figure out what the point is, it's helpful to figure out the scenes of what Luke is trying to explain. So what is happening right off the bat, we have some context, a couple of context of what's going on and who is actually the audience. Luke 22, verse 1. Now the Passover, uh, sorry, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. Now, it seems like, well, duh, Luke, that's what the Passover is. Nah, remember, who is right? who is Luke writing to? Theophilus, who is a Greek, 
who Luke is trying to convince this is true. So the audience is a, a Greek audience who goes, well, I heard about this Passover thing. What is going on? Oh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, it's something that Greek Septuagint that you guys made, the translation of the Old Testament into ancient Greek. Well, to, for them, it was ancient and modern-day Greek at the time. And is the Passover feast. Oh, the Passover. Got it. I remember now. I should be thinking about Passover. What happened at Passover? Oh, the blood of the lamb, having the angel of death pass over the houses that had the blood of the lamb so that they can be delivered. Huh? You got to slow down and think a little bit. And now, uh, and now what else is happening? Verse 2, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put Christ to death, for they f- but they feared the people. So the context is, you know, we have the re-audience in mind, but also we have the scene in mind, what's about to happen. And this is a transition. Now, we have the Passover scene in Luke 22, beginning in verse uh, 7. Uh, we have the plot to kill Jesus, plot to kill Jesus with Judas. Excuse me. In the previous verses, chapter uh, verses three to six of Luke twenty-two, and Luke twenty-two seven all the way through twenty-three. Well, actually beyond twenty-three. Excuse me. Uh, ch- verse thirty-four. Nope. Sorry. Beyond that. Verse 38, I apologize. Verse Luke 7 to 38 is the Passover meal and the scenes going on. But something I wanted you to take note, Compass, is verses 14 to 23 of Luke chapter 22. I also want you to jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 to 34. This is where you'll actually see Paul explain the Lord's Supper. And actually, I'll give it to you, read it to you. For I received from the Lord what also delivered to you. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter eleven. That the Lord Jesus, on the night on which, uh, when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, he also took the cup after the uh, supper, saying, "This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Now, I bring this up because who was a disciple of Paul? Luke. Luke was a disciple of Paul. Followed him around. Probably got saved then, potentially. And Luke's. Influence, uh, influence of Paul, you can see here in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel and in the book of Acts, and how it talks about very similar language, even in verse 20. Likewise, this cup after has been eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So here's Luke referencing Paul, and Paul's really referencing Christ, who Luke is taking, taking an account of. And so this is important because it's going to help you see Paul's influence in the in the Gospel of Luke and the in the book of Acts, and you'll see very similar language as Paul writes his letters to his churches. So, essentially, what we need to take away from the Passover meal is this new covenant that's being poured out through Christ, a new covenant that was promised back in Jeremiah thirty-one, Ezekiel thirty-six, to say this is a new covenant company, com- new covenant coming, which my spirit, God's spirit, will be in the believer, and this is where how it happens through the death of Christ to purify our sinful hearts. So then we continue the rest of 22. We have in verses 31 to 34, we have uh, Peter saying that I'm not going to betray you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter, it's okay. I know who you are. You're going to betray me three times, actually. If you notice, Peter says, I will go with you to prison and to death. Well, we see that when he actually betrays Jesus, he doesn't do that until after, after Jesus ascends into heaven. But I want you to know as 
you know, Jesus uh, makes mention how the scriptures must be fulfilled and be prepared for his leaving in verses 35 to 38. On verses 39 to 40, uh, 39, excuse me, uh, this is where Jesus is praying in the garden after the meal. But we need to notice that Peter and the disciples are really bold. Like, we'll never betray Jesus, but yet they can't really pray for one hour with Christ. And so, really, they need a resolve outside of themselves. Which kind of comes to turn to part, part two of Luke 22 that I want to mention is the garden scene. And the main thing I want you to notice from the garden scene is verse 42. And Jesus is praying. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. And this is a reference to the Old Testament, talking about the cup of wrath from me. Nevertheless, not, we know this one, not my will, but yours be done. And appeared to the, and then there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Look at the love of Christ, who didn't fall through what he, the temptation, but instead submitted his will completely to the Father's will to die in our place. And even in agony, pushed forward to do the impossible, to submit himself, to become our new head. Because that's what Jesus is doing in there. And this is what you need to think of. Back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam is the head of you and I, our representative, and he disobeyed God. He broke out of the will of God in a garden, mind you. And now here is the new man in a garden submitting himself fully to the Father's will and thus becoming our new head that we can find a pure heart in. So after he prays, he gets uh, gets arrested, and we see the uh, the, the, deni- uh, the denial of Jesus by Peter, and then Jesus is mocked in verses sixty three to sixty five, and he's before the council. So then, part three is the betrayal of Christ, and then the trial, uh, the sham trial of, of chapter twenty two. And the thing I want you to notice is just the wicked hearts of man, and this is our, this is who we are, this is who who we could be. If God wasn't restraining our sin, we can be these people who are mocking Christ, arresting Christ, beating Christ, and questioning Christ and asking, who, who, who are you? And when he gives us the true answer, we still reject him. It reminds me of the parable of the soils, where there's the, the seed that was, uh, fell upon the path. The seed is represented the gospel, the good news that if you just repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ, you will have be saved. But there are people, our hearts are, can be so hard that it just bounces off. It's not the problem with the seed. It's the problem with the soil. And the soil here with the elders and the scribes and the chief priests in verses 68 all the way to the end of Luke 22 is so hard that they're mockingly asking Christ, you know, if you just tell us, you know, or you just tell us who you are. But Jesus responds, this is how hard your heart is. Jesus replied to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated on the right hand of, uh, of the power of God. And so, showing their hard hearts, they asked him, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And then they said, What further testimony do we have? This man is guilty. Here's God in front of him, right here. And their heart is so evil, and it's a reflective of our heart. This is why Pastor Hayden's sermon is applicable, that we need to recognize the impurity of our hearts. It's just like theirs. If God was standing before us, we'd still not choose him if God didn't do something about it. Well, what did he do? Well, this is chapter 23. This is what he did. Kind of break down three parts. Part one is Jesus found innocent in front of Herod and Pilate here. 
Now, Jesus goes before Pilate. Pilate examines him. He sends him off to Herod. Herod, a different Herod from the beginning. Herod examines him. And here you see this in verse 15 of 23. Neither Herod or uh, Herod or Pilate found any guilt in him of deserving death. So I'll punish him and, and release him, which is dumb in itself. Pilate and Herod should have done the right thing and released Christ because he's innocent. They feared man versus God, even though God was standing before them. But even they recognize Jesus, Jesus is innocent. What are you talking about? But unfortunately, the hardness of heart is re- revealed uh, uh, through them saying, put him to death. And so Pilate gives into their demands and says, okay, fine. You, you know, we'll, we'll kill him. All right. It's up to you now. And then we have the crucifixion scene. So we see the heart of man, you know, Pilate's wickedness and Herod's wickedness, not to free an innocent man. And the rest of everyone, everyone's wickedness, choosing a murderer and Barabbas to say, let him go crucify this other person. So then verses, you know, 28 into to about 42, we see the crucifixion before Jesus' death. We see man's heart, and now we see God's heart. This is God's heart. Look, Take note of verse 34. And Jesus is being mocked on the cross. He says to his father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Isn't this love of God just purely amazing to see that in the greatest agony, as people were mocking him, tearing apart his garments and selling him, he's saying, God, forgive them. That, I mean, that's a compassionate heart that we need to have, and we should be challenged by that. You know, furthermore, we have the criminals on the cross, and we have you know, both criminals were mocking Christ at one point, and then the one criminal got wise, and God opened his eyes. And so one criminal is mocking God in Christ again. The other criminal says, hey, man, we, we deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. And he, he turns to Jesus and says, will you remember me uh, when you enter heaven? And Jesus turns and says to him, um, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there's a great sermon by Alistair Begg that mentions you know, how, how does the thief get on the, cro- on the cross, enter heaven? He goes, well, the guy next to me said I could. And look at the beautiful love of Christ for someone, at, even at the end of his life, is on the cross, this criminal who is who's guilty is guilty, and he admits his guilt. He sees his heart as wicked. He turns to the guy and says, will you remember me? And Christ says, I forgive you. You will see me again in paradise. Again, the love of God is just magnified. And then we see the death of Jesus. And in verse 40, 46, Luke records Jesus' final words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so we see the love of God and love of Christ for us to say, I give up my spirit to the Father for the punishment for their sins, and he dies. In which, which is part three of this Luke chapter 23, which is the burial of Jesus. I want you to notice now in verse 50 in the burial is that we have a man named Joseph, a Jewish town of Arimathea. We we like, oh yeah, this guy. Notice who he was. He was a member of the council, the same council that condemned Jesus, a good and righteous man who who did what God wanted him to do and who not consented to their decision and action. Think about this guy, how much he must have loved God and did not care about man who said, you guys are wrong. He stood before the council who's condemning Jesus, and he said, this is wrong. This is, I do not consent to this. That is you know, bravery and a trust in God to really provide for him. Why, and why, did he, why, why is he the way that he is? In verse 51, he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking and seeking after the kingdom, no matter where it took him, even if it means he loses 
all of his friends and reputation on the council. And yet he's the one that finds the kingdom. Whereas the other ones who say they were looking for the kingdom really were just looking for a kingdom for themselves. So then we get into Luke's uh, account of the resurrection. So in verse 24, this is the final scene, mind you, of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and it's the resurrection scene. And take note on verse 1, actually the last verse of 23, so go back up to verse 56. On the Sabbath he rested according to the commandment. So this is Saturday, verse 1 of 24. But on the first day of the week, so Sunday, first day of the week, so it's a new day, an, an early dawn. And so the ladies go, the women go to the tomb. And this is the note, this is a new day with a new Adam presenting a new life. See the the theological richness, you know, that the Bible is trying to present to us. So what happens is they have the resurrection. And something to note, actually, in verses 10 to 12 of Luke 24, where the women, you know, were perplexed a little bit. What's happened? They ran and told the apostles and in verse 11, the words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This is makes sense of of Mark's ending, of why Mark, back in the Gospel of Mark, what it, the book ends with, they didn't, say, you know, they ran and didn't say anything at first, is because they knew no one's going to believe them. This is the craziest thing that they've ever witnessed, even though Jesus said it was going hap- to happen over and over. They did tell the disciples, of, you know, they actually did tell them, but it makes sense of Mark's ending why he ended it the way that he did, because it's such a perplexing and marvelous thing. And actually, that's how, you know, verse 12 ends when Peter, he ran to the tomb and he looked and saw, you know, the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what happened. He's like, what? I, I don't kind of understand. I understand, but I don't understand. People are moved at the resurrection. The resurrection should really move us to really go, wow, God. You are amazing. Which in Luke 24, verses 13, all the way to verse 34, this is the, you know, as a professor said, the greatest contribution of Luke to the, all the Gospels is this account to, of the road to Emmaus and then the other disciples. So, Compass, let's go to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. And I want you to help you understand, as a professor said, this is Luke showing his epistemology, how how to know things, and his hermeneutics, how to understand the Bible. Hermeneutics is just the study of how to interpret the Bible, and epistemology is just the study of how we know what we know. And this is what Luke gives with two random disciples. We don't know who these people are. It's not the 12, or at least the 11. Judas is already dead by now, so that's one. And the other 11, they meet them later. They're walking down uh, the road you know, to a village named Emmaus, hence the road to Emmaus. And all of a sudden, Jesus pops up and starts walking next to them and, and is talking with them. And what's interesting is that they are telling Jesus, like, don't you know what's going on? Jesus is kind of playing, you know, silly with you, know, coy with them, not coy, but silly with them, going, hey, do you, do you not, what's going on? So don't you know, not know? And Jesus is like, you foolish people, you foolish ones, you slow to heart. Don't you remember what the prophets have spoken? This is in verse 25 to 27, mind you. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now he's saying not, not every single verse is about him, but all the verses lead it to him. 
And he's showing them in the prophets, in the law of Moses, the Torah, the writings and the prophets, where exactly it continues to point to him. Like Genesis 3.15, the euangelion, that the serpent will be have his head crushed and the heel of that crusher will have be wounded. The, the covenants of Abraham, the covenants of David, the covenants of Israel being fulfilled in Christ. And then eventually in verse 31, they had their eyes open and then recognized him and then boom, he vanished. And then even in verse 32, they mentioned, did not hearts burn while he was with us and talked to us on the road when he opened the scriptures? And so what do they do? This is their response. They ran and told the the other 11 disciples, saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared in confirming Simon's testimony and the woman's testimony. And it doesn't end there. This is where we'll wrap up, Compass. Verses 36 all the way to 49, some of my favorite right here. And so he appears to the disciples, not to be, you know, not to fear. And this is where I love it. Verse forty-four to forty-nine needs to be starred and bracketed in your Bible, because he says this in verse forty-four: "These are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the laws of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the writings, must be fulfilled." Then, verse forty-five: "Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures." Now this is, and uh, you got to remember Luke eighteen thirty four. All right, let's go back there real quick. Luke eighteen verse thirty four. He explains his death for the third time. And that he's going to go to Jerusalem, just like everything was written by the Son of Man and the prop for the of the prophets should be fulfilled. And he's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles and mocked and flogged and shamed. And on the third day he'll rise again. Verse thirty four. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, they did not grasp what was said. Without God, we really can't understand the scriptures in the way that God wants us to. We need God to open up our minds. And so how do we know things? Through the scriptures, through God opening up our minds to be able to see real reality. And furthermore, and then how do we interpret the Bible through the lens that there that there's a Messiah coming and he has come in Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for a Messiah. The Messiah has already come. We're waiting for the return of the Messiah. So this is where our Jewish friends that we need to be praying for them to see you know, the Messiah has come and he's coming back. And But we need God to open our minds. And this actually reminds me of Psalm 119, verse 18, where David said, Open my eyes that I may behold your wondrous things out of your law, your scriptures. And so, Compass, how do we read the Bible? Before we do things, we need to stop, drop, and pray. We need to pray, God, help me to understand your word. Help me to understand what it means, how I need to respond to it, how I need to feel, how I need to think, what I need to do according to what your word has to say. But God, I need you to open up my mind as just like you did to the disciples. And so we won't be understand that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins unless God opens our minds. So we need to examine the scriptures and show, see how it reveals Jesus throughout it all the way since the beginning, but also for God to open up our eyes. And then finally, part three of Luke 24 is the ascension, that's which get, we actually get in more detail in the book of Acts. And so he, he went to Bethany, Jesus ascended into heaven, but I love verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I love that. Great joy. 
and continually, we're continually in the temple blessing God. Hence, it makes sense why Pentecost happened, because at the temple, that's where Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, which we will read in a few short weeks. But Compass, this is where I want us to land. When we finish the Gospel of Luke this week, it is my prayer that you and I, like the disciples, would worship God more. That we would have greater joy because we see the beauty of the gospel, how far off, how great the chasm, how high the wall is that separates us from God because of our sin. And it's because the greatness of God's love, he crushes through that wall, he builds a bridge through that chasm and grabs us and brings us into his glorious presence through the forgiveness of sins through his son, Jesus Christ. So I hope that we are able to worship it more, have greater joy because of this, and that we would continually, continually worship him by gathering together as they did at the temple. We should gather together here at this church building and in life groups and just through life. So Compass, I hope that we worship God with great joy and with continual fellowship with one another as we await Christ's return. And I pray that you grew closer to Christ because of your study through the agency of God, through the gospel of Luke. Next week, Compass, we'll start opening the gospel of John. But this week, have a great time studying the gospel of Luke.